Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. There's a lot of things we can enjoy, right? And uh, one of the things I think for us as a church at the Well, uh, we've been blessed with so many different things. And one of the things that we've been really blessed with, I would say, is uh, just having good people. Uh, good people here, a great team. And uh, another great blessing is that we have great people who are coming alongside us as a church. And uh, we've been just really blessed, amazed that I think part of this journey, one of the things I've seen is uh, there are other churches that are literally praying for us, praying for you guys. They're coming alongside the well and they're saying, we support you, we believe in what you're doing. Uh, we want to invest into you through finances as well as prayer. And one of the churches that is doing that for us is a church called Momentum Christian Fellowship. Uh, they are a church that just got planted themselves. I mean, they planted only two years ago, so they're still pretty young themselves. Their planter pastor, his name is Byron Jung, and uh, they have decided that we are going to come alongside of you. We want to partner with you, um, and we want to offer you a financial gift, but we're going to, more importantly, be praying for you. And so we are extremely blessed to have them just come alongside. Uh, there's going to be a group of them that's going to come next Sunday to visit with us. And so you get to meet uh, a few of them. They're core people. And so that, to me, is just really... It's a great encouragement. It's a great blessing to know and to see that uh, God is really uh, raising up people, but he's, uh, there's a, this great sense of, I think, to me, excitement that uh, churches around this area, Southern California, San Gabriel Valley, that we're beginning to see that God's kingdom is much bigger than just our individual churches. Uh, God's kingdom is, is huge. And, and by doing this, we're all saying, let's come together. Let's partner together. Let's support each other. And that to me is what's really exciting about all of this. So uh, that's going to be next Sunday. We are going into a series right now, and uh, this has been about a few weeks, but the series is A Meal with the King. And in this series, we're looking at different passages that show something about God's character, his heart, his nature, and how we are invited to the table. Uh, we are invited to dine with the King of Kings. And this is the most amazing gift that we've been given. And so we're looking at just different passages today. We're looking at Luke uh, chapter 7. And before we go into this passage, I'm going to invite us just to pray really quickly. Let's ask the Lord to open our hearts and uh, let's ask the Spirit to be at work. Father, we thank you. Uh, we praise you, Lord, that Lord, you invite us into your house, but you invite us to your table. Lord, we thank you that this invitation is given by your grace, and it's a complete work of Jesus. Lord, we, we want to say to you that we love you. We praise you for, Lord, inviting us. Lord, we, there is nothing within us that would make us say, invite us here, but Lord, you have loved us. And we thank you for that. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, your spirit would be present as we trust that he is. We thank you 
We praise you. You are a living God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off with this story. Two people. And there was a man named Charles Francis Adams. He was a prominent 19th century diplomat and politician. And he kept a diary. And one day, in one particular entry of his diary, it read, went fishing with my son today. And then he noted, a day wasted. His son, whose name is Brooke Adams, also kept a diary. And he noted of the exact same day in his diary, his entry wrote, went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. Wow. Uh, Two people, father, son, who had the exact same experience, shared the exact same day with one another, and yet their responses were about as opposite as you can imagine. Their reactions were completely radically different from each other. And I think this is a picture to me of how two people can come, hear about Jesus, have God in this worship service, and yet their reactions are completely different. The same word, the same Jesus, the same gospel, but two people who are sitting here today, their hearts are completely different in the way that they are responding to Jesus. Same thing is happening today. And today we're looking at this passage in Luke chapter 7, about two people, two very different people, and they have two radically different responses to Jesus, and we're going to get to the reason why. Why is it, how is it that their perspective could be so completely different? And what I want to share with you is this. Grace simply flows down to the humble. It flows down to the humble. This is how grace works. This is how grace operates. We've been talking a lot about grace through our series, A Meal with the King. So we've been talking about God's perspective. But what I want to share with you today is our perspective, our response to this grace. And how does it work in our lives? I'm going to share with you two different kinds of people who meet Jesus, two radically different responses to Jesus, and then one reason why each responded entirely different. So, first of all, two different kinds of people who meet Jesus. The setting of the story in Luke chapter 7 is that you have Simon. He's a well-respected Pharisee. And it's, he's inviting Jesus to his home. Right? He's hearing a lot about Jesus. Uh, his fame, his, his uh, reputation is growing. I want to invite him personally to my home. I want to get to know Jesus. I want to find out who this Jesus is, what he's really all about. And so Jesus is invited. He's a, he's a VIP. He's a special guest uh, to Simon in his home, this respected leader of the Pharisees. The other main character, though, in the story that we are reading is this woman, and she is simply known as a sinner. That's all we know about her. What does it mean that she's a sinner? Well, when Luke uses this word, it basically means she was a prostitute. Uh, she was a town prostitute who basically was 
who wrecked several marriages and families. That is her background. Both of them, this woman, this Pharisee, they meet Jesus together. Both have heard the exact same teaching. Both have heard the same, they've, they've, they've uh, heard the miracles, they've uh, known his teaching, but they couldn't be any radically different in their responses. It's kind of like, much like the story, uh, oftentimes where you have the same set of parents, you have two different children. Why is it that one child is completely compliant, obedient, the other, the other child is a black sheep in the family, right? You see this all the time. Uh, but this is, this is very, very true. Like same parents, same upbringing, same environment. How could the children turn out so radically different from each other? And yet, this is fine in this passage. Two radically different responses to Jesus. So let's get at it. Verse 36, we read, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, picture this scene. And this woman, she is lavishing love and honor and respect upon Jesus. But what you don't catch in this part of the story is the way, the contrast to the way that Simon completely treats Jesus differently from the get-go, from the beginning. This woman is showing tremendous honor to Jesus, but Simon is completely disrespecting Jesus, snubbing him. Uh, in fact, later in the passage, and we're going to kind of read this again, but let me just bring this in. Verse 44, Luke records, In turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Now, what's going on? In the Middle East, just like pretty much any culture today around the world, hospitality is of utmost importance. Uh, when you invite someone over to your house, you treat them with the greatest respect. And to do anything otherwise is a complete dishonor. And there's three important courtesies that Simon refuses to offer to Jesus as simple, basic hospitality. Simple courtesies. Provide a kiss, a greeting, anointing for his head, to cool his head down, and then to have his feet washed from all the dusty roads and traveling that Jesus, uh, you know, that he had to do to get to Simon's house, right? It's like, imagine if I invited you to my house. I refuse to greet you. I'm not going to even open the door. Yeah, come on in. You know, I yell. 
I refuse to take your coat off or, or like offer you a place to put your coat. I'm not going to offer you a drink. Just come on in, right? I mean, it'd be completely off-putting. And Jesus doesn't receive this kind of greeting at all from Simon. And the thing is, is that everyone there, all the other guests, and there are a lot of other guests, by the way, they see it. They see that Jesus has been completely snubbed through this whole thing. It's not even subtle. Simon is snubbing Jesus while the town prostitute is showing special honor and love to him. And it's pretty shocking if you read this passage, what she does. She is letting down her hair uh, in front of Jesus, and all, all the, the scholars, everyone knows that this is something you do only in private in the bedroom. She kisses Jesus' feet, pours perfume on them, and then she breaks this alabaster jar this ointment upon, and then uses it upon Jesus. Now, Simon, cold, distant, this woman, lavishing complete love. They both met the same Jesus. How could their responses to Jesus be so radically different from each other? The difference here is very simple. You know what this alabaster jar is? This is, this is the most precious thing that she's got to offer. This is her livelihood. This is, uh, this is the most precious gift that she has. And she uses it upon Jesus. What she's doing, what she's signifying is, I am completely giving myself to Jesus. I'm committing to him. I'm leaving myself vulnerable to Jesus. And I'm allowing Jesus to have access to everything in my life. This is what she's doing by giving this alabaster jar to, to Christ. She's not holding anything back. This is a way for her to say, Jesus, you have access to everything in my life. My sexuality, my relationships, my money, uh, my time, my energy, the way I use my life. You've, I'm going to give it all to you. You've got complete access and I'm leaving myself vulnerable to you. That's what it means to commit yourself to another person, right? When you commit yourself to anybody in a relationship, what are you doing? You're making yourself completely vulnerable to them. You're letting them in. You're letting them in into your heart, into your life. They know the deepest things about you more and more. They know your failures, your shame, they know what you're hoping for, what you're dreaming about. They know your struggles. They know everything about you. And they could hurt you, right, if they wanted. They could misuse this information. They could turn it against you if they did not love you back. But the person that you commit yourself to, the person you're loving, you're entrusting yourself to them. You're letting them in, and you make yourself vulnerable. And this is what she's doing to Jesus. She's saying to Jesus, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my heart. I commit myself to you. You're the one I'm going to allow full access into. Simon, he only has an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. His heart, though, is very cold. He, he knows Jesus from just a mental perspective. He's heard the teaching. 
He knows Jesus intellectually, but he hasn't allowed Jesus full access into his life. Jesus doesn't have everything. He's not committed. He's not committed himself to Jesus. And this is the difference between the woman and Simon, the Pharisee. Completely different. And you can't miss the tension of what's going on in this passage either. Jesus' reputation is completely at stake. What this woman is doing is completely inappropriate. It's beyond social folk pause. I mean, this is completely embarrassing. And everyone sees it. And Jesus knows. I mean, letting her hair down in public like this. As a respected rabbi or any other rabbi in that kind of position, it would have made any rabbi completely uncomfortable, extremely awkward. And Jesus' reputation would have been at stake in this situation. He could have easily said, ah, I appreciate what you're doing, but you know, this is probably not the right setting, you know, for, or this is not the, the right way to express. Your honor, I know your, your heart's in the right place, but this is, yeah, this is a little bit inappropriate. He could, have, he could have done that. He could have said that to the woman. But you know what Jesus does? Notice in this passage. He does nothing. He completely just accepts what she has to offer. Is it socially appropriate? No. But you know what Jesus sees? He sees her heart. And when he sees her heart, he's basically saying, I see your heart, and you're the real thing. You know me, and I welcome you. You're in the kingdom. You're part of the family. And it doesn't matter what anyone else is thinking, I know you. This is a difference between Simon and this woman. Simon is far from the kingdom. He thinks he's in, but he's completely out. This woman is completely in. These are completely different people. So, why? And the key is found in the next passage, this next part. There's one fundamental reason that separates a a person like Simon versus this woman. Jesus goes on to tell the story of one debtor who owed the equivalent of two years of wages and then another debtor who owed the equivalent of two months of wages. And the one reason he goes on in verse 41 is to say, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? He asked Simon. This is not a trick question, right? It's very simple logic. What Jesus is simply saying is, to the degree that you have been forgiven of your sins is the degree to which you will actually love from your heart. It's very simple. You're forgiven little, you love little. You're forgiven much, you love much. I think this is pretty, pretty basic, right? If I'm going to the supermarket and someone, you know, in line behind me offers to pay for my groceries, I'm going to like them a lot. 
thank you so much. But if that same person offered to not only pay for my groceries, but to pay for Joshua's college tuition, which is mounting higher and higher every single year, you know, and then says, hey, and I'm going to pay off your mortgage on top of that. I am going to love you the rest of my life. (laughs) Right? Like, this is very simple. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He says to Simon, now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. In other words, even Simon couldn't help but agree with Jesus' logic. Yeah, that makes sense. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me the water from my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to even kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. The most precious thing she has to offer me, she gave it. She didn't hold back. She left herself completely vulnerable to, to me. Therefore, I tell you her sins... And they are many. Jesus is not blind to her wrongs. He knows. But they're forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, how does Jesus explain why this woman, her love, her heart is just so, so real? so pure. I mean, it's not holding anything back to Jesus. It's not this cold, calculated Simon. It's open, it's warm, it's tender to Jesus. How does Jesus explain it? It's simple. Simon, you just don't see yourself as a 500 denarii sinner. That's what it comes down to. And so, because he doesn't see himself as a 500 denarii sinner, he doesn't feel his need to be forgiven much, if at all. Simon, you think you're good. And you think you're good with God because you're good with yourself. But this woman, she, even though she knows that she's a 500 denarii sinner, she's been forgiven of all of it. So, her heart is tender and warm, and it loves much. This is what Jesus is saying. Loving much comes from being forgiven much. This is the point. The woman has committed herself to Jesus, but Simon has an intellectual grasp, but hasn't been experienced the forgiveness. And the point that Jesus is making is not that the woman is a greater sinner than Simon. That's not what Jesus is is implying. They're actually both equally in debt to God. Each are equal sinners before God. But Simon only sees himself as a 50 denarii sinner. And so he doesn't see himself in need of a great savior. Simon has kept all the rules. He's decent. He's moral, he's religious, but inside he's full of pride. 
and he looks down on people who are not as good as he is. They're not as smart, they're not as good, they're not as competent, so he kind of looks down on them on the inside. Simon has maintained control over his life. He's done a pretty good job of running his life. He has pretty much, you know, kind of, this is my life, this is how I've lived it, I've structured my life around these foundations, and he's been successful at it. But he doesn't recognize that all his life, all his talents, all his breath, everything that, everything that he has in his life are all completely of God's grace, given by God's grace to him. He doesn't recognize that his very existence is owing to nothing but the mercy of God in his life. And so what he's done is he's put God into his debt. You owe me a good life because I've been pretty good. And that's the way he views Jesus. This woman, though, has completely understood that she's not lived the life that she's supposed to. She's broken and she's lost and she knows it. But she is in debt to God because she knows she desperately needs God's grace. She desperately needs it. And she has received this forgiveness, and because of that, her life is open to God himself. She gladly gives her life to Jesus because Jesus has gladly welcomed her. I want to show you something. And when I was going through something called Sonship, a discipleship program after a period in my life, in which God had to really just kind of break me down, um, a, a, a time of real desperation in my life and not understanding what was happening, why this was happening, um, and everything that I thought was success in terms of uh, my life or ministry, uh, God had to just remove that. And then I went through this sonship, discipleship, and this is the first time I was ever exposed to this. But this is called the cross chart. And the cross chart is simply this, that when you first come to know Christ, you have some awareness of your sins. Okay, I need some forgiveness, I admit. I'm not perfect, you know, I haven't lived for... You have some awareness, so you say, okay, Jesus, you're the one who died for me, and I believe in you, I trust in you, and uh, Lord, would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? All of that, right? So that's your conversion. But the way that the Christian life operates, little do we realize, is not a series of mastering one step after the next until you get really close to God. That's actually more akin to Buddhism than Christianity. But the way that you actually come to know Jesus is you have a deeper awareness of God's holiness. You get to know Jesus and you begin to realize, wow, I am so unlike Jesus. He is far holier than I ever even dared imagine. And when you encounter Jesus, when you really encounter who the real God is, not the sentimental God that we kind of construct in our hearts, but the real God, you begin to see that not only is he more holy and righteous than you even imagined, but you begin to see more of a knowledge of deeper layers of your sinfulness, deeper layers of self-justification, self-righteousness, unbelief, idolatry. There's a lot of things that begin to get exposed. 
in the process of getting to know Jesus. And in that, there's a tension, right? We don't want to be desperate for Jesus. We want to find ways to justify ourselves yet even more. Our religious side comes out. Our moral side comes out. But in that, in those places, the cross, if you know Jesus, becomes larger and larger. And you begin to recognize Jesus, and you begin to recognize his grace in a deeper way in your life. And this grace, what Christ has done, his finished work on the cross, becomes so much more precious to you. And then as that cross becomes so much more precious, your love for Jesus begins to grow and grow. You begin to recognize, wow, how did I go from being the 50 denarii sinner to the 500 denarii, denarii sinner? How did that happen? This is actually how you make all progress in your relationship with Jesus, believe it or not. It's opposite of what you think, of what we naturally tend towards. And yet this is what Jesus is saying produces genuine faith and love. This is what he's getting at. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. And this is a dynamic that begins to shape your heart. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove. This is the greatest dynamic of all. It's not that, well, I don't care what they have to say. You know, huh, you know I'm, I'm my own person. Who cares what others think? No, that's, we're not talking about pop psychology. We're talking about gospel transformation. You begin to love Jesus, love others. You begin to be more sensitive to others, actually, and to how you can love them. But it produces a dynamic in which you're genuinely humble, but um, you're confident at the same time. You're not generating this on your own. It comes from Jesus. Our identity is that we're sinful and flawed, but loved and welcomed by Jesus. This is the, our identity. We're sinners and saints, right? We're sinners, but we're children of God, loved by him. And this changes you and I to the core, to be humble and joyful at the same time. And this is what he said to the woman. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved, your faith has saved you. Notice that for this woman, it's not that she would love Jesus and therefore was saved. No, she had faith in Jesus and because she had faith in Jesus, she was saved. And then after that, she has his peace. And this is the way it works. I'm going to invite you to just respond. Even right now, as Jesus is present, as he's speaking to you, where do you stand in relation to Jesus? Are you more like Simon? Intellectually, you kind of know, but your heart is a little bit cold. 
Are you like this woman who says, Jesus, you know everything about me. And Jesus, I come to you and I come in repentance. I come confessing my sin. I come confessing my need for you, Jesus, because you alone are my Savior. I think this is what Jesus wants to, to speak to us about. What are those things in our lives that we're holding back from Jesus? Uh, am I trying to convince myself that there's some measurable difference between the big sins and the little sins in my life? Am I justifying those things? Am I guilty of fault-finding and being critical to those around me? Or am I just simply coming to Jesus? Am I more concerned about my, my, my reputation and what people think of me than I am about my genuine character before God? Am I playing with a particular sin in my life, trying to see how much I could toy with this sin? Uh, where are you in your life, in your heart before Jesus? Respond to the Lord as he's speaking to you. Respond in confession, repentance. But know that Jesus came for the 500 denarii sinner for you and I. The cross, the forgiveness of sins, the love that Jesus has for you and I, no matter where you're at, whether you're Simon or this woman, the love that he has for you right now, if you would come to him. So let's come before him. How great is God's love for you and I. And I pray and hope that you will experience the love of Christ, the forgiveness of sins through the cross. No matter what, that Jesus, his love, his forgiveness can cover anything. We see that. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard or want to talk about what you've heard, I invite you to uh, just stick around. I'm going to stay right here. I would love to just dialogue with you about anything from this message. If you are seeking prayer, there's a prayer uh, in the corner as well, people who are willing to just pray for you. Uh, but we just invite you to continue to responding to the Lord as well as stick around for lunch, sit with someone new, build new relationships. But with that, let me uh, leave you with this blessing. May the Lord give you the grace to walk humbly, repentantly this week. May the grace of the Lord be with you, strengthen you to know that you are fully loved in Christ. And may the God who did not spare his own son, but gave him to bear our sins, always remind you of these things, even though you know them, so that you're firmly established in the truth that you now have. Amen and amen. Go in peace. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.